A brand perspective, Fume. We talk a lot about brands easing into podcast advertising, but what about if a brand had no choice but to go all in? Adam McNeil and the team at Fume lived that experience this year, and were very open with sharing their full experience with me. Can you tell us a bit about Fume? Give us the full pitch and the company's advertising experience prior to podcasting. Quitting smoking isn't easy. In fact, it's so difficult that the smoking cessation market has grown exponentially in recent years, expecting to reach over $50 billion by 2026. More personally, one of our podcast hosts testifies that it was easier for her to give up heroin than cigarettes. Smoking cessation for a long time has been held captive by expensive therapies, nicotine replacements that are equally addictive, and the dreaded cold turkey that isn't very effective. That's why Fume exists. Fume makes quitting smoking safe, natural, and human by replacing the physical habit of smoking with something enjoyable, comfortable, and packed with benefits. Fume is a passive wooden inhaler that uses no smoke, electronics, or nicotine, and instead uses plant oils studied to curb nicotine cravings. Since our launch in 2018, we've served over 45,000 customers, but it hasn't been easy, especially for our marketing team. Like many e-commerce brands in the past decade, we found our first breakthrough on Facebook ads. Though, that was short-lived due to our product resembling the act of smoking, a gray zone in Facebook's compliance. 2020 was a massive year for us, seeing 200% year-over-year growth and breaking our first seven-digit year as a company. In that year, 59% of our revenue came from Facebook ads, with Google and affiliates trailing at 16 and 13% respectively. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, January of 2021, we ran our last Facebook ad and needed to find a way to generate cold traffic. Q the podcast. I think your story really highlights why a lot of direct-to-consumer marketers are afraid of the advertising changes from Apple and Facebook, mobile device ID, and third-party cookie going away. In the moment, I'm sure that was awful, but in hindsight, you lucked out by getting ahead of all of those changes. Can you tell us about the first podcast campaign? What was your total budget, and how much was on the line if podcast advertising didn't pay off? Near the end of January, I received a cold email from a comedy podcast network in New York City. They mentioned they had another smoking cessation product on their network previously that did well and wanted to see if we'd be interested in jumping on some shows. Out of a sense of desperation to find a new cold acquisition channel, we said yes and agreed to testing with a $3,000 budget spent across two shows. They were really good about making it happen for us and helped us with ad copy, and no one on our team had experience, so it was very helpful. This, at the time, due to our loss of Facebook, made up a bit less than 30% of our ad spend that month. Little to say, it was a risky endeavor. Had it not panned out, the next month or two would have been nerve-wracking and critical for the business. Thankfully, and I think luckily, both shows were profitable immediately. (laughs) With what I know now, that was a huge blessing. Since then, we've scaled throughout the year and podcasts remain our largest spend and revenue category weekly, with some months breaching 30 to 40,000 spend. Through podcasting, we found great success and have earned organic mentions on shows like The Joe Rogan Experience, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But I first want to walk you through some of the data. It's important to highlight that a one-month $3,000 test, which was about 30% of your total spend, was so successful that your monthly budget for podcast advertising was nearly tripled in less than a year. Considering you didn't even have a month to break yourself of the Facebook money-in-revenue-out cycle you were used to, it's clear that podcasting can provide that type of result in real time. Let's hear a bit more about the other advertising channels you spend in. How does podcasting compare to them? Before my focus on podcasting, I was the head of our influencer and affiliate marketing channels. This meant we looked at results the same way when it came to podcasting, link clicks and code usage. 
I found out quickly this wasn't a good or reliable method. Podcasting ROI, as most readers here would know, is difficult to measure. If you only look at codes, you miss out on direct gains. Now, UTMs from Google can help, but still the data falls short. Sometimes up to 30% of your listeners won't use a code or click the link. That's a huge amount of untracked revenue and a lot of ambiguity that I personally have to deal with when reporting to my CMO. Podcasting is hard to convince data-driven marketers about as the data is sparse. We've since added post-purchase survey questions thanks to Inquire Labs, which have helped immensely. According to our survey, podcasting brings in 25% of our revenue, leading the charge ahead of Google and word of mouth. Oh, and the other category in the image below is filled with podcast names and mentions. So the number is actually a lot higher. We've come a long way with our podcast advertising, and I've learned a lot on the journey. Though I captained the ship alone, I couldn't have done it without the help and right resources. So here's a short list of what I wish I knew when I started. Build strong network relationships. The network we first partnered with has been a huge help, and we've stuck with them consistently from the beginning. They know us well, and they know which shows will likely do best. These kind of partnerships are crucial as a small business in the space. Something I learned the hard way. Not only do they know you better as your spend accumulates, you get better package deals and network buys to go with. Secondly, get a post-purchase survey. We use Inquire Labs, but I'm sure there's others that are great. This was so important for validating podcast investment. I highly recommend it, as you can see in the image above. You need to find your customers first, then your CPM. Finding good shows are really hard. Finding shows that convert, specifically. We probably only find around 3 out of every 10 shows that we call keepers. I found that finding shows that convert but maybe aren't profitable can even be worthwhile sometimes. They give you insights into where your ideal customer listens, and then you can find shows that are adjacent or in that same community or network. I call that podcast retargeting, and here's a little bit more on that. This has become a really relevant strategy for us, and in hindsight, it has been the the driving force for, for our podcast campaigns. I like to sum it up as this, cast your net where you've already found fish. When we find a show or a niche that works, find other shows Uh, where hosts collaborate and integrate more deeply in that sector. That whole, you need to hear an ad seven times is true. And you can speed that process up by advertising on multiple shows your target customer listens to. It's easy to dismiss what one of your favorite shows ad reads, but six unique hosts talking about it, that's going to make you stop and search. It's kind of amazing that your passion for podcasting enabled you to shift your entire role from influencer and affiliate marketing to overseeing podcasting for Fume. If a brand was looking to enter podcast advertising, what kind of advice would you give them for building out their initial strategy? As a business, especially a startup on a bootstrap budget, podcasting can be intimidating. The cost to advertise on your favorite shows can be high, and they often come with multiple episode commitments. So from my limited experience, here's my process of keeping our costs low and our effectiveness appropriate. Network buys. I can't stress this enough. Finding a network or a representation agency that gets you is key. And doing full network buys or bulk show buys can get you network discounts and double down on podcast retargeting. My number one philosophy. Fringe shows. CPMs in general are climbing as podcasting becomes more relevant. $20 to $30 CPMs are pretty common. But in fringe industries like news and politics where many brands aren't comfortable advertising, CPMs are generally a bit lower 
can be found in the $10 to $25 range. Bulk buys. Once you find a show that you are happy with and you've run between four to eight episodes, I'd recommend asking for a longer term contract at a reduced rate. Podcasters like myself like the security of having a committed sponsor and brands like having a long-term sustainable source of influence and revenue. I usually take small steps toward longer contracts, two months to four months to six, etc. Performance changes and committing to a full year is a bit intimidating for a startup that is prone to quick change. Ask yourself, where do your competitors advertise? Though we don't use it, there is a software called Thought Leaders that allows you to search podcasts and YouTube channels sponsored by your competitors and see where they're finding success based on the frequency of their ad placements. This could be a very effective tool for finding higher hit rates on successful shows and finding more keepers. And if podcasting is as successful for them as it was for Fume, how would you encourage them to grow within that podcast advertising space? Ultimately, a lot of our growth began with one network that worked for us. We've onboarded and offboarded with many others and have found only a few that have been successful for us since starting. Relationships are everything in podcasting and your network relationships are key. The primary network we work with has become like family to us. We know the hosts. I have a personal connection with our representative there, and we even know the producers well enough to get them involved in our recent holiday campaign. As we've integrated more deeply, we've seen strong results, but it took time and baby steps. This has opened the door to them getting us the best rates on off-network shows with friends of theirs they think would be good fits. They advocate for us. And often they are because they know our business and our customers. The relationships are so important. The question of when to leave a network lies deeply in whether or not you find it easy to work with them and if they provide results. On average, we'd like to find three out of every 10 shows we sponsor as successful by our metrics. And as another company, you need to figure out what your metrics are. If you keep throwing money at a network that hasn't found you any success, perhaps they don't have a pool of shows that fit your brand. And if the network you are testing is able to find you one to two shows that win early, they're likely going to be a great fit for you, especially if they work well with you. Relationships are so important. I can't not stress this enough. We're still in the early stages of our podcast advertising journey, so oversaturation in a market doesn't seem to be approaching yet. But when we get there, if that happens, I think my instinct would be to slow down the cadence of our ads to retain visibility, but press less into high frequency. And lastly, tell us a bit about what happened with Fume and the free advertising you got from the Joe Rogan experience. Now, I want to take a little bit of time to highlight my podcast retargeting efforts and how it got us into the ears of Joe Rogan and a five-minute organic conversation on his show, The Joe Rogan Experience, which we effectively played $0 for. We've been advertising the news and politics space for a while and have found success on a number of shows there. Many of the hosts we work with have been guests on The Joe Rogan Experience, and we've always hoped one would bring up Fume. That didn't happen. At least, not like we expected. In episode 1670 of the Joe Rogan Experience with Dr. David Sinclair, they talked about smoking and the effects of tobacco on lifespan. To which Joe piped in about a product he saw advertised on one of the shows we partner with. This led to a 20-30% to lift in our sales over the span of four weeks. And we still get post-purchase survey responses highlighting that episode. Perhaps it was at one show, or maybe there were conversations behind the scenes, but what is for certain is that our advertising efforts multiplied through targeting like-minded hosted shows to reach the ears of thought leaders in that space. I'm incredibly interested in speaking to more brands, so please reach out if that sounds interesting to you. Special thanks to Ian Powell for engineering this episode, and thank you for following this premium feed of Sounds Profitable provided by Supercast. 
And as you probably know, you can always visit soundsprofitable.com for more articles like this, our product deep dive series, and the official Sounds Profitable podcast. Thanks again for listening.